for Rare Disease Day, we are actually getting communities to pledge to light up as many buildings and landmarks as possible in the Rare Disease mm -hmm. Day colors. So blue, green, pink, and purple. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about the pandemic being a dark period and people aren't leaving their homes, you can look outside and you can look at social media and you can see the colors that represent a unified voice. And to me, I just think it's so beautiful. Like, you know, I live in DC and I feel insulated at times, but I lived with my sister in Southern California. She lived in Texas. And knowing that rare is everywhere and knowing that, you know, in your own backyard, you have a building that's lit up because people care enough about, about your little disease, your, your small population, like to me, that's very empowering. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Connecting ALS. I am Mike Stevenson. I'm one of your hosts. I am on the line with my colleague and co-host, Jeremy Holden. Jeremy, here we are last week in February. Yeah, the year seems to be flying by and, and somewhat uh, somewhat calmer than last year. I think we still continue to mm -hmm. see the rollout of vaccines. And, you know, the weather's getting a little bit warmer down here in North Carolina where I am. And so really starting to get the feeling of spring and uh, looking forward to at some point this year getting even closer to that sense of normalcy that I think we all lost last year. Yeah, everybody, I think, is is anxious to be at that point. And one thing that the last week in February means is that Rare Disease Day is approaching because it's traditionally held on the final day of this month each year. We reached out to Debbie Drell with the National Organization for Rare Disorders to ask her about their plans. And though she is extremely busy preparing uh, for the day, she graciously offered to explain what's on deck for this year. And Jeremy, she also gave us a look at how Nord is helping bring together uh, organizations like ours and their supporters and advocates to amplify our voices. Yeah, and she talked about how, you know, that amplification, that bringing voices together, uh, I was really fascinated uh, as I, we bring this to our listeners to hear her talk about the power of storytelling. The theme for Rare Disease Day is, is to show your stripes and really fascinating to get a, a look behind where that came from, uh, what it means, and, and really some of the powerful storytelling that we're all going to look forward to on National Rare Disease Day. Good conversation. Let's listen back now. We are joined today by Debbie Drell, the Director of Membership at NORD, the National Organization for Rare Disorders. Thanks for being with us on Connecting ALS today, Debbie. Thanks for having me, Mike. We've been looking forward to speaking with you for a while now, and it makes sense that it's happening this week with Global Rare Disease Day happening on Sunday, February 28th. We're going to get into that shortly. But first, can you give our listeners who may be unfamiliar a little bit of background on NORD and your work there? Yeah, of course. So NORD is really well known in the rare disease space. Um, but if you're new to NORD, the National Organization for Rare Disorders, we are the leading independent 501c3 advocacy organization. We're an umbrella based in the United States, representing 30 million Americans living with rare diseases. That's patients and family members, caregivers. And we were formed in 1983 with a small group of caregivers, parents, and patients creating a coalition to unify and mobilize support to pass the Orphan Drug Act because it's called orphan because they didn't have a home medically mm -hmm. in terms of research, in terms of the return on investment for drug developers. You know, it's hard to do a clinical trial if you don't have any patients and then to develop a drug that has a small patient population. There's no incentive there. So the Orphan Drug Act 
changed everything. And that actually, you would think that once you pass that, like you're done, you can hang your hat up. That was just the beginning for the organization since then. And that's almost four decades. Wow. Um, yeah, almost my age. Um, I like to say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Nord has been leading the way. Um, and so people know us policy wise because that's our origins. But we're like the elephant where it depends on what you touch. Some people know us as a patient assistance organization. Some people know us as, you know, social media awareness and uh, rare disease day. Some people know us in what we do for capacity for nonprofit organizations. Some people know us for the registry work that we do with the I am rare registry proprietary platform that we work with the FDA to develop for mm. drug development. So we're just, we're every woman, you know, that song, I'm every woman. <laughs> <laughs> we're like that for rare diseases. Sure. Um, and I specifically, my sister lived with a rare disease. I was her caregiver for a decade. I worked at a rare disease nonprofit beforehand, dedicated to my sister for 13 years. I was there coming mm. into Nord. I have always looked at Nord as the mothership. You know, like there are hundreds of rare disease specific organizations, but there is one organization that brings them all under one tent for this wallop of advocacy. You know, like bringing them all together means that 30 million has one unified voice. And that is to me, Nord. Yeah. So important. And Debbie, you clearly have fought the fight on the front lines enough or the mothership as you call it. So couldn't imagine <laughs> a better person for us to be talking to today. And as Mike mentioned, we are on the cusp of rare disease day. Um, what is the importance of that day? Talk to us a little bit about what it means in the space. Right. So, you know, the organizations that work on rare diseases are focused on their missions, focused on their work, very, you know, short staffed, small, you know, bootstrapped nonprofits, many of them, the 330 disease specific organizations that are our members. But then on one day, and sometimes the entire month, we all come together to amplify our voices. And it, it started by Eurotis in 2008, but now it's a patient led international campaign that brings in, you know, not just the 30 million in the United States, but 300 million impacted worldwide. And wow. it became, yeah, <laughs> so amazing. And now there's 65 countries taking part in Rare Disease Day. The U.S. sponsor of Rare Disease Day is Nord. And we ask uh, all stakeholders, drug companies, research institutions, universities, our students for rare chapters, our 15,000 member rare action network across the 50 states. Everybody's doing something for Rare Disease Day. It's almost like our version of like a high holiday, like Christmas or Hanukkah, you know, like we're just everybody's really busy coming together, celebrating and highlighting what unifies us. Yeah, it's an amazing day each year always on the last day in February. That's this Sunday. What are some of the things that you at Nord are planning for this year? I know you've got kind of a cool theme with Show Your Stripes. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. So the zebra is the rare disease mascot. You know, it, it's a concept taught in medical school, like this medical zebra. Uh, the, you know, when doctors hear hoofbeats, they think of horses and not zebras, but sometimes mm. it's a zebra. So that that stripes it, you know, when you play on that aspect of it as well, like we all are unique in the stripes that we have with our rare diseases, but we're all zebras at the end of the day. And so the show your stripes campaign is a hashtag, hashtag show your stripes. Show your stripes. And, <laughs> yep. Hashtag show your stripes and take a picture 
posting your story and a message of support, you know, so I would do it with my sister, picture of us wearing zebra ears, something cute, posing with a, you know, she's beat the odds because, you know, organizations like Nord are fighting for treatments. And Mm. my sister would, my sister wouldn't be alive, honestly, if it wasn't for Nord and the Pulmonary Hypertension Association driving rare disease research. Now there's treatments for her disease so that would be our message. But we're, we're asking everyone to share what, what your story is, your disease, educate your families, take a moment to like raise awareness about your disease and all rare diseases with hashtag show your stripes. Yeah, and it can be, uh, I think, overlooked or maybe underappreciated the extent to which those personal stories can really resonate with people. Can you talk a little bit about that, about just the, the power of individual storytelling to to really make a connection with people who who might not otherwise think of a connection to the rare disorder community. Absolutely. Here's what's crazy, and I love this. The second you start talking about a rare disease, and you really, it's almost coming out of the closet with the rare disease, and you like start talking about it, it's one in 10 Americans. So if you say, I have a rare disease, or I know someone has a rare disease, you will start, people will start telling their stories like, oh, I know somebody who has a rare disease or I have a rare disease. So when you share your story, you actually embolden others to share theirs. You embolden um, the one in 10 to be proud and to open up about it. It's, it's about being vulnerable, you know, and it's about talking about the health challenges that we experience. And now more than ever during the pandemic, storytelling is keeping us alive. You know, we're, we're talking about how hard it is. People are embracing the medical journey because now everyone's got COVID, you know, mm. so many people have died. Like the rare disease experience of being isolated, of not having access to care, of being discriminated against. You know, you don't wear a mask, you do wear a mask, you're treated differently. Like now that is everybody's experience. And so there's a source of pride to say like, I have a rare disease and I'm resilient. I can survive this pandemic, even though it's so hard, but I can survive because I, I've, been, I've been living this life before the pandemic and I can help you by embracing you know, my unique story, my specific stripes. And it's okay. Yeah, uh, and it's great to be rare. Yeah, and and speaking of the pandemic, Debbie, uh, obviously now there's a heavy virtual element to a lot of the activities that organizations like Nord is planning. As we are moving past the one-year mark since COVID changed everything, can you just kind of give us some broad strokes on how it has impacted your work and plans for the last 11 months? Yeah, absolutely. So I work directly with nonprofit organizations. We have 1,200 that we are connected to that we showcase on our website. And then we have 330 that are our members. When the pandemic hit in March, we heard from all of our members that their fundraisers, which are happening in person at golf tournaments and restaurants and galas and hotels, their educational events, their board meetings, their events where they bring patients together, they all had to cancel. They Mm -hmm. did or they postponed them, they canceled. And there goes their revenue flow. And if you're a big organization, you can take a bad year. You can take two bad years. But if you're a small mom and pop, it can make you make very difficult choices about which programs to close. And we even heard from an organization, I might have to shutter my registry, my natural history study, which brings patient knowledge to the research to enable us to understand the disease and and one day get treatments. Like Mm -hmm. to close that, like it was shocking. So Nord responded, and I can speak to this, we fundraised and gave out almost $200,000 of grants 
not to pay for registries, but to help organizations who apply to pivot, you know, get the technology, get the consultation, get the virtual learnings, um, because they don't have the infrastructure built up to be nimble and to move quickly. So we, we gave out $15,000 grants to 20 organizations, members, and it wasn't just to help those 20, but the learnings that they had, what software did you use? What consultants, what did you do? What were, mm. what were your best practices? We took that and we gave it back to all 330 organizations. And uh, so that was one of the things we did. We also did a webinar series on virtual fundraising, motivating your board during difficult times on virtual platforms. We've done several on virtual platforms. Anything Nord does uh, as a staff, like we had to pivot for our two events. We took our learnings and turned them into resources and templates like an RFP for virtual platforms. And so we gave that to our members and only one organization closed down last year, but they actually got absorbed by a nonprofit, but they did take a huge hit and we're still working with them to help them become better virtual fundraisers and to pivot more in the pandemic in year two. That's great to hear. Yeah, it's certainly been a, a, a transitional and transformational year uh, across the board throughout society, and it's uh, and, and fascinating to hear how Nord has been responding. Uh, you know, we've heard from a lot of folks on this show, whether it's uh, people who working working in a clinical space or just in all these different facets of of care delivery and and, and patient advocacy, how the use of virtual platforms is, isn't going to go away. Do you, do you have a sense that some of the ways that you've been nimble this year and adapting to the pandemic are, are going to be things that stay with you uh, in, in terms of how you practice going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think becoming virtual meant we could bring a global community. People who had to get visas to come to the U.S. to come to virtual events and then all the expense. And if you're living with and caring for children or adults that have special medical needs, Traveling is not an option. So we actually had bigger attendance in our events. They were more affordable. Our scholarship dollars went further because we weren't paying for hotel and travel. It's sad because people really enjoy the in-person experience, but I think the future is hybrid. The future will be streaming content and virtual, like a, like a two-part, you know, you have your in-person event for people and then you have your virtual event that everyone can participate in. And you have tiers of registration for participation in these events and Goodness, this is so great for the autoimmune condition communities, mm -hmm. for the communities where with um, children that have great needs where they can't, the parents can't leave their homes. Um, this really opens up the door for that, and I think that it's it runs parallel to clinical trials having remote and offsite trials, having um, uh, home care, telehealth visits, all of the you know it's it's almost parallel like it's hard to go to medical appointments. It's hard for rural patients to travel to big cities for clinics. It's very expensive for them to have to spend months in, you know, going from the Dakotas to Rochester, Minnesota, to Mayo Clinic. And what do we now know in the pandemic is we are forced to learn innovative ways of getting access to care because our life depends on it. And these practices are going to become more mainstream they're going to cut across state borders. Nord's doing a lot of policy work on this, but I'm, I'm hoping that the silver lining is that we make it easier for people to access care through telehealth and, you know, remote site clinical trial participation. Well said. I do agree with you. I think access is the silver lining through what we've gone through in the last uh, 12 months. Debbie, I've long been a fan of the Nord mantra, alone we are rare, together we are strong. And it's a true sentiment and a good reminder that there are so many individuals impacted by what are considered rare diseases. And as they 
band together to make their voices heard, real change is possible for all. You must see and hear and live that in your work at Nord every day. Absolutely. I mean, a, a testament to that is when the pandemic hit, we actually surveyed our community and we asked our members to help us push the survey out. And we had 1,600 responses across two surveys to really get a sense because people want to know what the data is on the impact. You know, mm -hmm. are our communities experiencing the same level of job loss? Are they experiencing PPE access? Are they experiencing challenging access to medical care? And each rare disease organization can try to do their own survey, but bringing them all together shows the trends, which then the, this survey that we did, we made a white paper report on the impact of COVID that was picked up by, and I'm sure utilized by uh, regulators like FDA and NIH, and we were even invited to do, as a coalition, a listening session with FDA with the Oncology Center of Excellence on rare cancer, on their access of clinical trials during the pandemic, as well as a general rare disease listening session with FDA. So together, we, we brought the voice of all rare diseases to FDA at a, at a time when people were concerned about PPE and clinical trials and drug shortages. So powerful when you can hear how that all comes together. Um, Debbie, you talked about your time as a caregiver, uh, now your time at Nord. Talk to me a little bit about where you see hope that progress is being made and as we move out past Rare Disease Day and into the fight going forward, um, where do you draw hope? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I will say Nord has a Rare Action Network, which has grassroots patients and families on the ground taking action and they're developing rare disease advisory councils. And so there's a lot that's happening in states across the country on newborn screening and Medicare. And I, I believe that we need to have a multi-pronged approach to policy, including federal policy, including working with regulators, researchers at NIH and FDA. But what happens on the state level, I think, helps the community in, in really profound ways. But underlying all of this is giving the power back to the patients. So in each state, you know, there's 15,000. It's always impressed me. You know, it's, it's not enough that we're doing the policy work and representing the organizations, but to give the community the right and the ability to fight back to me, that is powerful because I want, I hope that anybody of the 30 million Americans living with rare diseases, that they know that their voice matters, that they speak power to their stories, back to that storytelling that when they participate in Rare Disease Day, that gives them the freedom and, and knowing, like, I'm encouraged to share my story. Now I can go share it in my state capital. Now I can go share it at FDA. And the more of those 30 million that speak up, the more empowered and the more we're taken seriously and, and the more we can do together. Thanks again for joining us today, Debbie Drell with Nord. We appreciate your time, uh, the important work of Nord, and we're really looking forward to making some noise with you on Rare Disease Day this Sunday. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thanks for having me. Really can't thank Debbie Drell enough for stopping by. As you said at the top, Mike, uh, very busy these days, so really grateful for her giving us a little bit of her time as we look ahead to Rare Disease Day. You can follow the link in our show notes to learn more about Rare Disease Day and how you can get involved in this Sunday's happenings. We'll definitely be paying close attention to social that day to see everyone showing their stripes. Speaking of social, you can follow Connecting ALS on Facebook and Twitter, and you can subscribe to the show either at connectingals.org 
or wherever you're listening right now. We're also extremely grateful uh, for those of you who have left reviews of the show on your favorite podcast services. That helps others discover the podcast. That's it for this week. This episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thank you all for listening. We'll connect with you again soon.